0: Bloom additives that work with any grow style. What's up? Do I have your attention? Welcome. Welcome to Do Grow Show, guys. Uh, Today, we're discussing some bloom additives, and not just that, not just stuff that you're going to go spend money on in a bottle, but a little bit of environmental tips, I'm hoping, that cost you nothing to help you maximize flavor, yield, get the most out of your flowers. Um, And I have help today. I have help from Jeremy from Build a Soil. Welcome to the show, buddy. How you been?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on today. I feel privileged to be a part of the Improving Your your flowers
0: episode. So thank you. Definitely, definitely. And if you guys want to catch a bunch of more knowledge, Jeremy has a great channel, just Build a Soil. Just go to YouTube, search Build a Soil. Tons of information going there with your different series and grow tents. Um, And one thing that you, I think, preach a little before we talk about just getting into bloom additives is make sure before you're spending money on other stuff that your environment and your bases are in check. Like, can you go into that a little bit? I mean, you just recently discussed CO2 on an episode and you're like, before you even get to that, um, you know, Let's talk about, is everything else, is all your ducks in a row, genetics, lighting, environment? Yeah, that's a great question. Um,
1: when I answered that question, I get a lot of people that seems like they're going through learning to grow. And they've been recommended, hey, if you want to get huge yields, you just have to use CO2. And so to me, that's kind of like saying, hey, if you want to get big, you just need steroids. And I'm like, okay. I may not want to do that. Let's just say I don't want CO2 to deal with it. But if you're going to, you better be drinking the water, having the diet, doing the workout, seeing a doctor. Like You can't just be changing everything um, and expecting a result without changing all the other variables that lead up to it. And so with a grow room, everything is connected. And typically, it's why we call it an environment. It's very similar to what we're trying to duplicate in nature. And we have more control. But a lot of times the lack of understanding the complete part of that environment will not give us more control because we'll set up a grow room and we'll miss some key point.
0: Let's take it back to. So when you have figured out everything is dialed in for your grow and you're looking at, you know, you're, you're confident in your genetics um, and you're confident in everything else. And I know uh, when I worked hydroponic retail, bloom, bloom boosters and additives were very sexy. There is uh gh had different sweeteners coming out you've got the banana the pineapple the blueberry sweeteners and all these different products people want to try and add to bloom so that's what i wanted to get in here in just a minute before we do a uh, quick shout out to this episode brought to you by real growers as usual guys recharge up your garden uh get some real growers.com uh grow dots and order recharge and learn all about the microbes to keep it simple if you want to learn more um to, Scotty's out today. Scotty's out sick today. So I'm, I'm holding down the fort. And luckily, Jeremy's the guest because he's always awesome to chat with. Um, it's hard to get you to stop chat and sometimes viewing the knowledge in a good way, in a good way. Um, but uh, go to dudesgrows.com, put in that search bar, put in recharge, man. See what the DGC is doing with that. dudesworld.ca. If you want some recharge and grow dots in Canada, don't forget if you're enjoying this episode, if we've pimped your grow, man, dudesgrows.com forward slash support. Grambo, I don't know if you can scroll that link a little bit. We got a lot going on over there. If you're DDC producers, we're hooking up a full full 4x4 kit from AC Infinity. I just threw up a recent uh, grow tent video as well. Banner just threw up a post, uh, still going hopefully now. I'm not sure uh, where he's hooking up packs of seeds. So we're trying to keep you Patreon producers. Not trying. We are happy as can be. And lastly, dugrowscom forward slash pros. That's where we'll find a pro such as Build-A-Soil. All of our pros are listed there, coupon codes. And mainly when you're going to dogros.com forward slash pros, you know you're getting gear it's vetted by the DGC, um, such as, you know, a quick compliment to Build a Soil. I know the inputs and the things that you put in uh, your soils, you source, I mean, you put a lot of work into sourcing quality inputs and what's happening with it, not just, um, you know, a byproduct or waste from some crappy compost that I've heard just different stories from city compost and stuff. Um, but yeah, Build a Soil.com go ahead, touch on that.
1: No, sorry. It skipped for a second. Um, we can talk about the ingredients for sure. And that will relate directly to the bloom additive conversation. You know, when they come out with banana and pineapple, it's like, what is in this and what does that mean?
0: right? Yeah. And we'll, so let's start that conversation. Cause for me, I like nutritional additives. Like usually I have my base covered for me. Like last grow, I use grow dot, So my base is covered in a sense. If you're using a base nutrient, a two part, a GH three part, um, uh, BioCanna, BioBiz—these are all products that you should have your base NPK covered with. But I always get my hands on, me and, man. Should I add a different source of phosphorus, like from a fish bone meal, in addition to what is in my, you know, regular base of uh, a bloom, just a bloom additive? Or you have Build a Bloom. I like to top dress things um, in addition to uh, having my base nutrients. Figuring I'm giving the plant different ways to achieve its good flowering results through different inputs.
1: Yes. And this very much aligns with the build a soul principle. Um, We relate to food a lot and the human diet just because there's some correlation. And as long as you know, when you go to the store, if you're just buying them based off the marketing, a lot of things might seem healthy that aren't. But if you understand how to read the ingredients, you can start to be a little bit more choosy. And um, it comes all back around to the fact that the living soil way, the build a soul way is typically we want more of a buffet of food and we want to keep it full and allow the plant to choose what it would like the best. Where when you're in hydroponic, you can't just create a buffet. It's all water soluble. So you must be a little bit more pointed to keep, to keep that balance. But when it comes to soil, I love the diversity of not only the ingredients, but the size. So if you have a chunkier seed meal or fishbone meal versus a really micronized one, that is going to change the surface area that the soil biology can work on. And it will allow it to faster release to
0: the plant. So you so start, the micronized one is plant, more plant available, right? The more we're getting micronized in like a powder yeah, like a calc.
1: It's like we're feeding the soil, but if it's micronized, the microbial population will eat it so quickly when it's fine like that, that it will release into plant available food for your plant much faster. Similar to if you've ever had a worm bin or a compost pile, you don't want to put... You know a whole head of lettuce in there it'd be better if it was chopped up it's just going to be more conducive to the biology getting on every orifice of that material and releasing it so
0: yeah i like it what yeah how do you feel about um that you just c- commented on like a buffet i've always liked to give you know and i'm i base my growing not not all on bro science maybe we call it dude science but i'm like man i like to eat a bunch of different things if i'm a microbe and there's different type of microbes that i'm sure I like to eat different things there's different, you know, there's uh molasses is a sweetener. There's a uh, Fox Farm had a product that's some sweetener from like I think beets. You know, I'm like, okay, interesting. Maybe I said adds, maybe there's some microbes that like this, this beet juice a little bit more than molasses. There's sugar in the raw. There's all types of different food. And does that tie into that same philosophy? Like, why not give our microbes yeah, more different types of well, we can hone in maybe on the sugars, but things to, to choose to eat from?
1: Yeah, it makes sense to have diversity. I start to look like there's arguments on both sides. One argument would be that, hey, the plant doesn't care whether it's molasses or beets. Those are just forms of sucrose, glucose, fructose. um, And, you know, there's a couple of other nuances there. And so understanding that would be more chemically accurate because your plant really doesn't care. But there are some additional benefits like molasses has a lot of trace minerals in it, um, has some iron in it and some other things that people look to. And so you are adding a little bit of diversity when you use something that is more well-rounded. Um, but it's always been that for some reason, the marketing companies, I think, play on the fact that we want sweet, juicy, pungent buds and adding sugar just sounds like, well, that'd be great. I love sugar. And there is some benefit, like our, even our coconut water powder, it's a percentage of those same sugars. And the argument there is that maybe there's something greater because it's freeze dried from a seed. And so it has all these enzymatic properties, but guaranteeing that on label is a nightmare. So all you get is a guaranteed sugar or, Hey, it's coconut water. And that can be more expensive than buying just molasses. I think there's a benefit there, but I also know there's a lot of potassium in some of these sugar sources. And a lot of finishers, when it comes to agriculture, is using potassium to fill out, where phosphorus is more for the flower set and the energy source that delivers a lot of these nutrients. So it makes sense. But I also think that the, a lot of the living soil growers that are focused on the microbial population, they've been avoiding just putting sugars directly in the soil. And part of the reason is that we have a lot of organic matter. We're hoping to release that into food for the plants. And if you have like, say, a fishbone meal or a seed meal, the microbes that are in there, they will be creating specific enzymes to break down that type of material and then going to work. Or if you just feed sugar, they're going to immediately go for that. And they're going to be producing compounds that are more relative to their food source. So it'll feed a population really quickly. But if you think of, let's say... A hundred different species that are in there and they all have different jobs. There's many more than that. But if there was just a hundred of them, maybe maybe a big population boom of the one that eat the simple sugars would be what you're left with after feeding these sugars. And so when it comes to hydro, that is important because we're not really living off the biology. And that potassium that's in there, some of the sugars obviously cause a, a small benefit. Um, but when you get into like banana and pineapple, now you're like, okay, am I trying to make my herb taste like banana? What are they selling me here and why? And so there could definitely be some valid points for some of the bloom boosters, if that makes sense, some of the sweeteners. But I think a lot of them are overdone. And obviously, they want you coming back in the store, buying these bottles over and over and over again. I used to go to the store thinking, oh, they're making money off these grow lights and all these things. And I think that it was more at a grow store. It's like a pet food store. You want them coming back every week for the same pet food. Otherwise, you don't really have a profit margin opportunity. Um, and I think a lot of these products are produced with that in mind, more from a marketing perspective.
0: Now, how do you, one of my favorite additives used to be, um, fat, some guano. And again, it would be like, okay, I'm using a base nutrient, but Hey, I'm a month into bloom and I'm going to just, you know, take a tablespoon. And I always used to equate it to like putting some Parmesan on my pizza here. Just not going to put too much, sprinkle it around. Do you guys, I don't think build a soul has any, you don't have any back guano products. And are you familiar at all? I'm not that familiar, but with, we don't have to go deep dive into it, but is it, the, the the industry of it the harvesting of it um, does it just decimate bat colonies and there's there's you know issues there
1: I think you could probably intelligently argue both points here so where billdosoa takes a pretty strong stance on slaughterhouse waste that's sold to the organic market meaning bone meal it could from pigs cows they'll just say organic bone meal and really it's saying it's for organic use and it did not come from an organic source and that surprises most organic enthusiasts. They figured they were buying a well-treated animal's bones from an organically fed operation. And that's just not true. And The good thing about bats is they're not really raising bats in little cages, feeding them to take their shit. They're going into natural caves and they're getting a broad diversity of input of their food source. So I do think there's benefit to the guanos. Um, the reason why we didn't carry them is that when we started to build a soil... We wanted to draw a line in the sand saying, this is line. these are certain lines we won't cross unless we have information. And in the beginning, uh, the Living Soil forums, they were just like, why would we ever use guanos? There's other cheaper sources of phosphorus and calcium and all these things that may be in there we're looking for. And then if you were to cut open the bag and breathe it, a lot of times there's problems with some of the guano sources that could be you know problematic for employees. Yeah, we repack a lot of ingredients. So I would be buying it. I wouldn't want to open it repack it. I would just buy it directly from the source. And then you start to look into it. And you're like, oh, okay. So- Unless it's a real sustainable operation, which everyone you go online says they're sustainable. But I'd imagine if you were to go visit the actual physical location, it would be different. But from a marketing standpoint, they're all going to say we're sustainable and we have a proven process. And essentially, um, they would come in and scrape all the guano out of the caves. And that affects their ecosystem. And having all of that mechanical activity inside the cave, um, not that... Everything's connected, right? So I'm not sitting here thinking, oh, these cute little bats, like I just love them and I would do anything to save their life. It's slightly different than chickens in a cage with missing beaks and arms because of what we're subjecting them to. But from the way I understand it, harvesting the guano can be unsustainable and problematic. Now I say that with a little pinch of salt because I'm in business, like I'm unsustainable as well. I said plastic bags of stuff. And so we try to make good decisions. I think guano is more about the fact that I don't want my employees dealing with it, breathing it, and that there are better, more affordable options. Um, But at the end of the day, that's probably the one most closer to the line that we would be maybe willing to use guano if I understood, hey, this really is a a well-run operation, how they harvest the guano. And then the other one, people say seabird, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I've understood it that the seabird, um, the birds need that guano to build their nests. And some of the more sustainable operations say they gave it a certain aging period so that they're no longer using it, and then they come clean it up. Um, but for me to carry a particular brand, I'd have to do a lot more research.
0: History and guano—if uh, you guys are history buffs—is pretty, which I'm not, pretty damn interesting, man. I think it kind of just kept creeping up. It used to be used in—I don't know if I can call it big egg back in the day—but it was used to grow so much stuff. And you uh, you worked a way around it. Just to shout out to one of your products, Build-A-Bloom um, has nothing to do with guano. And I think Build-A-Bloom can be used either as a top dress in addition to what you have going on or or a standalone in bloom, standalone nutrient yeah. if you're mixing it mixed, mixed in your media. Our
1: products are not as good as a standalone because we really designed them to be overcoming the weaknesses of living soil. And what we found out early on is that a lot of these recipes that were passed down for generations online for organic growing, a lot of them worked. Some of them didn't. And oftentimes it was due to the sourcing of the ingredients. So, you know, if you're growing hydro, you can tell your buddy, what's your pH, which nutrients are you using? What's your environment? You could be exactly apples to apples. But if you say, go get some compost and go get some organic amendments and mix them, somebody in one part of the country might have a different result than someone buying those same inputs in another part of the country. And oftentimes with organics, it's the excesses that get us. It could be excess sodium, it could be excess um, chloride, bicarbonate, some of the ones that are harder to deal with. But across the board, ubiquitously, when I research compost that's available on the market, it's typically devoid of phosphorus and calcium. It just, it's going to be higher in potassium. And it's going to have a lot of other organic matter benefits. It'll slow release nitrogen. It adds texture. It has microbes. But if I were to make a well-rounded compost, it would have what Build-A-Bloom adds. It would have the phosphorus that provides that balance to the high potassium that comes in all that organic matter.
0: Now, where's the phosphorus coming from? And I see you got, just to hit it real quick, you got micronized soy meal, um, micronized soft rock phosphate, and micronized is what you were touching on earlier, I believe, by I meaning it's, it's pulverized so, down to a point where it's mostly plant, going to become plant available quicker.
1: Yes. And the idea there too is that you can water it in. Um, it's not, I wouldn't say water soluble. They're water soluble products, but those, the word soluble to me means something chemical. And that would be a nutrient salt breaking its bonds and absorbing into the H2O so that it's actually completely in that mix and it'll stay there. When it comes to these micronized powders, we oftentimes use a wetting agent with it. It works without. But it's so fine when you spin it in the water, it looks like it's completely water-soluble. But really, it's floating and really small particles everywhere in there. So if you were to let it sit, it would settle out. Um, and from a farm operation, really across the board, if you're trying to grow organically certified and you need to apply phosphorus to 40 acres, it was difficult. There's not a lot of products out there that you could just irrigate and still keep your organic certification based on how phosphorus works. And so this uh, company, Active. They make a number of different phosphorus inputs, but they keyed in on the trick of using amino acids and micronized phosphorus minerals to help chelate it. When you test it at the lab, the availability of the phosphorus goes way up. And that's what Bildebloom is. It's a little amino acid. You can read about amino chelation. It's one of the latest sciences to help the plant take up the mineral with that amino. It's like tricking it. And so when you have the amino, the and phosphorus, and the potassium in there in balance, it becomes a good standalone feed to a living soil system. Uh, we could have just added the phosphorus, but adding that potassium in some sort of step-down balance enables it so that more people with more ratios of compost would hit some sort of target when they start feeding with it. Um, and calcium's very important. We add a little gypsum in there. And part of the reason why is calcium and sulfur is what makes gypsum. And the sulfur is very important when it comes down to um, releasing other nutrients in the soil from the magnetic hold. So that the plant can use them. If we have a problem, sulfur in the gypsum helps you water to flush out the problem. Like if there's extra sodium or anything that you don't want in there. But in our specific instance, sulfur is good for terps. A lot of growers that go to soil, they just get louder herb even without experience because it has a lot of these compounds that the plant uses to produce it. And in the baseline AB, a lot of times there's no sulfur, so a lot of these additives will bring in those secondary compounds as a bloom booster to give you those and so um you know i used to use like the lucas formula and if you wanted to add some sort of flavor enhancers you need to be looking for other products so i'm
0: gonna switch it up to environment there's it's always cool to find things in the garden that you can potentially change up and you don't have to spend any money on but you're doing better and i'm this is kind of for me like is this bro science no science or legit segment um one of the things I feel plant stresses. Stresses, I think, sometimes can be good by getting the plant response. One thing I do, and I also do it because it's an easy way to keep fungus gnat population down for me, um, is drying out my media. Not all the time, but sometimes when I'm in bloom or when I see fungus gnats, I let that that media, and I know this isn't ideal in a living soil bed. You try to keep a nice, keep everything happy with the microbes and stuff. But I let it get dry to the point where it's like, man, if I did not water t- like first thing in the morning, I'm going to get close to wilt. I never do see wilt. I don't let it go that far. Um, But does that put out, do the flowers respond to that ever? I picture that maybe they would be putting on more resin to protect themselves in a drought environment. Or is this just bro science? Or do you have any knowledge on this?
1: I'm not going to be enough to dispute between bro science and not, but I believe you're correct. And I don't advocate big, wet, dry cycles in the same way we do in a soilless medium or hydroponics. And part of that is based on some of the internal pressures, like depending on what medium, like if you're rock wool, I mean, it's so easy to take water from it. I think that the, like, if you measure the pressure, it's almost non-existent in comparison to getting a dry down in soil can actually pull on the plant, so to speak, and get it to wilt a little bit harder and be harder to turn around. Um, But in big beds of soil, I think a lot of times people are either consistently underwatering for fear of overwatering or keeping it so perfectly moist, we don't have any of that dry back period that
0: I do think is a benefit. And, you know,
1: I stress I'm myself- that out,
0: dry I'm back really real way. quick. Like, like, give a quick definition of dry back.
1: So in a hydro grow, I would say watering to almost, you know, not watering to almost like a will point. But in living soil, I would say creating this natural curve where you're getting down to your normal low, getting up to a high, you're not trying to keep it perfect. And I do believe that's why I like hand watering better is that I can impart those based on certain times in the grow. And then when I know it's going to go through massive amounts of stretch, I can water it slightly heavier and let it dry down slightly lower, knowing that the plants are exploding with growth so they can go through it as I add back. But later on in flower, it may be that I just pull back and I don't really get a dry down. It's just that the plants aren't growing as much. And so I don't need to be adding water. Um, and to add to this, um, I was going to mention a second ago that I stress myself myself out personally every morning when I work out. It stresses my muscles, but it makes me stronger. And I think with plants, having some stress definitely does cause a reaction that will allow them to put on more of their protective qualities. And so with a plant, a lot of times that is, we talk about the trichomes, all the stuff that we want. There is some synergy there. That is their sunscreen. That is their pest defense. Now, I don't want to go release bugs on my plants to stress them into producing more trichomes because now I have to deal with bugs. But a dry down period, I think, is... It's natural. Like as far as mimicking nature, I don't think it's That's perfect. exactly what I'm thinking. The time, right? there's, there's rain some days yeah. and not others, and there's this flow. And in a big bed of soil, you can almost stop watering towards the end because the bed will still be wet at a certain layer. And with the fungus, now it's that top layer that becomes an issue. And so many of our growers that follow our style, there's many methodologies within that same. And so like if you read Masanobu Fukuoka, the one straw revolution that sparked a lot of this interest... He talks about on scale mulching every piece of material that you take down as mulch, and so a lot of indoor growers will take every cannabis leaf, every bit of cover crop, and they'll put it in the bed. And so even if you stop watering, that is still oftentimes moist, and it can produce those that little goes, that break down. I go some my smoothies. Fungus gnats. I gotta and have some leaves. Can be an issue, right? So you just have to be monitoring that. Um, we have a moisture meter that we've started to use by EcoWit. You can buy them anywhere. We have them at Build a Soil. And I put it in the bed and I've been relaying that percentage of moisture. And this goes off um, the depletion. So at what should be a wilt point would be zero. And what should be fully watered would be like 100%. And they give you a percentage rating. You can read it on your phone. It tells you the temperature of the room because it's got a little gateway. But it's been interesting because the earth box, which produces really good results, is consistently more moist than I would expect. And the auto pots, which help automatically irrigate those are very consistently moist. But my beds, when I grow how I like, I see sl- never as moist as those two. That's the peak and then it goes down almost 10, 15% and then back up and then down and back up. And to me, I think what I'm targeting is like a middle number going slightly above, slightly below, slightly above just for some sort of sine curve. That works really well for me. Now that I'm getting data, I'm going to experiment with going slightly wetter at certain times and maybe doing deeper drybacks. Now that I have the percentage, I can say, well, I went to 22% last week and I didn't have any wilting. Let's go to 20 and see what happens. Um, But what I notice is when I do a more natural cycle, I seem to get plants that are just healthier and respond better, especially when I water like same time every day, I water in the morning and I come up with some sort of routine. It's almost like they're intelligent enough to know. And they start to explode right after you water them and they get dependent upon the cycle. Um, But having no dry down at all, having it perfectly moist. uh, A lot of growers that use blue mats will experience that because it keeps it so perfect. And I know a lot of those guys are playing with dry back periods, adjusting the carrots, using deeper ones. Because having it perfectly moist all the time, I don't think is the ultimate recipe. I think it makes life a lot easier, but it can lead to some other issues. And when it comes to quality and yield, I do think having a little bit of up and down on that moisture is ideal.
0: Mentioned it mimicking nature. I mean, it, we can't mimic nature, and sometimes na- nature's like, I mean, literally just a pain. Yeah, you know, we're not.
1: Yeah, sometimes nature's poison ivy. We don't want to mimic every part of it, right? <laughs> um, just, just the romantic.
0: So you're getting that data. You said from is it this the the Rio Temp moisture meter? Rio R- 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 Temp, no, is that that's the, the
1: one. The one. It's Eco Wet. E C O W I T T. And so you can connect like six of them to one gateway. So you need a little gateway that reads your Wi-Fi, and then the moisture meter. And then you can have four of them in one bed, giving you different readings, seeing if you're watering, you can put them in different containers. And like many things, once you get a baseline for the data, you you almost don't need it, but it teaches you where you were at. It kind of reveals hidden data there. And so much of what we do is that hidden data that takes a while to learn. Like when you're, You've been growing a long time. You can walk in and you might know to pick up the pot and see if it's heavy or slap it on the side. And these little things that we do to program our brain, when you're brand new, you just don't know. You're like, well, it's been three days since I added water. Plants like water. <laughs> and it yeah. could be soaking wet still. So the moisture meter really helps relay it to a number that someone will now trust.
0: Nice. I like it. Data. There's power in data. That's what makes yeah. me. I got to shout out to pulse. pulse Grow when you say data. This is my Pulse Grow meter. You can get as data as much data as you want. Um one more thing though uh that interests me um is towards the end of flower you were mentioning towards the end of flower earlier. Uh one thing again mimicking nature if I can when I lived in Colorado I had an insulated grow room sealed in a garage with an oversized mini split it was sweet it's like man I could bring this thing down to almost like 58 like that if I want. So towards the end of flower um I would bring that the, the there'd be big swings in daytime and nighttime temps it's the same thing that's happening outside. Uh, Which some people are like, that's a no no. I'm talking maybe the last 10 days, uh, probably about the last 10 days, if I can guesstimate what those are going to be, unless I know the strain really well. And then also, for me, I would cut out all food, no matter what medium I'm in, no matter how I'm feeding or what I'm doing. Uh, There is a discussion, I don't want to say arguments, where some growers are like, no, don't cut out all food. Just bring it down. You're adding your inputs in, don't like starve them out. But man, I love to see, I feel like I don't see ripening of the flowers happen more than when they, Consume themselves more than when I see leaves yellowing out, and getting to the point of falling off. Um, and I'm just, yeah, how, what, what's your style with that towards the end of flowering?
1: I'm, I'm similar. And it, it comes to the fact that I'm not really agreeing with the don't feed side. It's just that we don't feed. We're basically water only the whole way. If I'm adding additives in bloom, they're very early on. And I feel like there's a diminishing point of return. Like if I just keep hammering build a bloom on week eight, like what am I doing? I'm just loading the soil, with phosphorus for the next round, I guess. A lot of it will stay in the soil, but um excesses I think are part of the problem. And so at the point where your plant is over, it's 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 in the ripening phase, it's like done stacking and putting out yield. I think that forcing it, whether it's organic or not, to take up nutrients within whatever's water soluble, it's a problem. And so when you start to, when you stop the input, which for me, after week four, five, six, I'm like, I'm just water for the most part, maybe like some coconut water or maybe a little microbial just to make sure I know things are cruising. I, you know, you love your plants. Sometimes you're like, Oh, I want to put a little something in here, but I'm, I'm certainly not grabbing food. And what's interesting to me is yes. In a small container, you can basically starve them out, but I see senescence on full on plants that are in huge beds of soil that I, I'm confident there's plenty of nutrients still in there.
0: I just know. They know that this is the oh, time like, they I, don't
1: reach. Have, I don't have any more left. They just fade. But I think that if you were to put lots of water solubles in, even though they're wanting to, they're kind of being force fed like an IV almost like, okay, well, I was dying, but you're like all the water I get has all these nutrients in it. And so you'll even see people have like new growth when they were finally ripening and they'll just like start popping new white hairs and the plants like, oh, maybe one last burst of growth. I want to avoid that. I'd like the whole plant to be ripened all at the same time. And I also agree with the colder temperatures. I think obviously certain genetics are going to react much better to it than others. Like GMO, you grow it cooler and you have you really guide it in there. It's a long flower. I've seen some unbelievable results from getting it cooler. I think it likes that. But across the board, my winter runs, like you mentioned Colorado, they're my best. And I think it's part of that towards the end of flower. It's super easy to just not warm things up and let it let it have those bigger swings. And then on top of that, you're stopping the soil biology from breaking down food and giving it to the plants when it's constantly slightly cooler there, which means you're probably slowing down that food production source. And you're starting to get some of that senescence, um, and I like that. I do like, for instance, in Quadrant Two in our last YouTube series, um, Long Valley uh, heirloom. So Rootwise his seed company. I, they're just so dark green and beautiful the whole way. I was like, maybe they're just not going to fade. His genetics are really stout, you know. And some just fade very are like lime green the whole way. Some are dark and leathery looking leaves. These were like had a sheen on the leaf, bright the whole way. The last two weeks. I mean, we're on week 10 tomorrow. We'll be day 70. They just completely rainbowed out. Some of them are fully turning yellow. That's beautiful. Light I love that. Veins and some are turning solid purple and starting to lighten up in color in certain spots. And uh, I was thinking, man, maybe they won't do this thing, but you wait long enough because the genetics will show you when they want. And man, they just start fading and fading hard. And I love seeing that. But if you're offsetting that, confusing the plant by constantly putting water solubles in, I think that you're trying to be smarter than the plant and get more yield out of it, as opposed to let it tell you, Hey, I'm done. Right. I don't need any more food. I'm just going to finish ripening here.
0: Eggman, you're mentioning earlier, um, you know, uh, st- we were talking plant stresses and working out, uh, in the morning and stressing yourself. And I know you're like, into jujitsu jiu- and yeah. keeping yourself fit. And I've been on and off throughout my life, trying to keep myself fit. And I do now, and they, being a grower, And thinking about, I guess it started with microbes and looking at how we treat these plants and how mainly we treat soil and the rhizosphere got me thinking about my own gut health more and like how I take care of myself. And it was interesting how many different like analogies and comparisons there were between taking care of yourself and taking care of plants.
1: Yeah, it's really true. And I think that nature builds on its own systems. And so obviously a plant, it has cation exchange where it says, I'll give you this and I'll take that off the off the exchange side there's some chemistry happening in our stomach there's a similar exchange to take up the nutrients and it makes a lot of sense you're just if you're just loading up with bullshit you almost need to flush you know what i mean so you can absorb (laughs) nutrients again and a lot of people that never consider that go their entire life and they realize they've got an extra few pounds in their gut their their intestines aren't actually absorbing the nutrients and it goes even further we talked about micronization right I'm not good at this, so I'm not gonna pretend like I'm perfect at all. But um, if you don't chew your food properly, you are not micronizing it and you're loading big chunks of material into a biological absorption system and it just passes it through like corn. It does not absorb the nutrients. And the precondition there is your, your saliva and a few things that happen. But if you were to sit there like the books, the health books say and chew however many times, every single time you eat you're masticating it to the point where you have much smaller surface area, much likelier to actually pull the nutrients from that salad. But if you just mow the salad, it's probably just going to go right through.
0: It's hard uh, when you're hungry. Yeah, it's hard when you're hungry. You're making me uh, think I've got to put my steak in a blender.
1: I don't know if I'd recommend it, but if you're trying to get gains, you know what I mean, you do whatever it takes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, excellent, man! Thanks for taking the time to get guys. Seriously, uh, check out uh, Build a Soil, Buildasoil dot com, and your YouTube series. You guys just took off um, on YouTube. How long? How long have you guys been over there? You know, I don't
1: know. We had the YouTube forever, but it was like one video and some random stuff. I put a GoPro on one time to show some things with my hands. I uploaded a couple of random messages. We never did anything with it. And then about a year and a half ago, Dean uh, moved to Montrose from Texas, and he was growing. So he'd come to Build-A-Soil, looking around at products. He's online as a customer, just researching all the you know methods. And he's not in Texas. He's in Colorado. He's like, I'm going to grow weed for sure. And so he was just a customer. And all of a sudden, he says, hey, why aren't you on YouTube? And I said, man, I just point and click with Instagram, Instagramification. And he says, You've got to, it'll change everything. And I said, I don't edit. He goes, well, I do. And literally, it's been night and day since then. And it costs a yeah. decent amount of money to have an editor. I mean, he's spending... He was here 40 hours a week for the first year, just every day going through thumbnails and the video and the audio and uploading. And now he's here six months there. And so during the off time when he's gone, I just do our own recording here. I upload it to a bank and he keeps at it. But um, that's been about a year and a half running of that method. And Dean, I mean, just changed everything for me, showing me that discipline, a workflow and consistently putting videos. I mean... Unbelievable what YouTube has done for us. So.
0: Well, you got great great energy and great grow knowledge. So I think that definitely adds into it. And uh, thanks for taking the time today, guys. If we helped your grow, you had a good time. Uh, become a DDC producer. com forward slash support. And if you're shopping for your grow, com forward slash pros. Uh, and stay tuned. We're going to get some hookup for your DDC producers uh, from Build-A-Soil. So right on, Jeremy. We'll be catching you soon
1: awesome yeah let's talk about that dgc producers i'd like to do something for you for you guys keep that synergy going we don't oftentimes do flat discounts it seems like we have a decent volume of business where those coupon discounters start picking up on it and using them all the time but there's got to be a way we can do something that
0: makes sense for that account so oh yeah oh yeah all right guys stay higher out there peace out
1: some people love to blaze up the deck. yeah we get happy for new Sister take a little break